Here's the Thing is supported by Audible.com, provider of digital audiobooks and more across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. More at audiblepodcast.com slash here's the thing. Support also comes from squarespace.com, a way for anyone to develop a professional-looking website or blog and keep it updated ongoing. A free trial and special offer for Here's the Thing listeners is available at squarespace.com slash the thing. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Are we rolling? Oh, rolling. hi. Hi. Welcome to Welcome the to Confession. <laughs> I'm Father Al. What's on your mind, Kristen? I've done a lot of things. <laughs> Kristen Wig has indeed done a lot of things. She was a caterer, a waiter, the lady who gave out peach samples at a farmer's market. She's done floral design. She's answered phones at a law firm that lasted a day. But one thing she has done with astounding consistency for much of the past seven years is make me laugh until tears are streaming down my face. What was your name? Penelope. Kristen Wiig's characters on Saturday Night Live are exercises in juxtaposition. The repulsively friendly target cashier. Let's see. Sunscreen. Nose plugs. I wear nose plugs around the house when my neighbor cooks broccoli. The revolting sex pot. One time when I got really scared, I just ripped my shirt open and did tons of tiny little bounces in a row. Judy, the pathologically nervous travel expert. I'm not nervous. I just changed my mind about doing this. Just kidding. I didn't change my mind. I changed my clothes. Just kidding. My clothes didn't change, but my address did. I now live at 21 Jump Street. Just kidding. I live at Jumpy 1-2 Street. Just kidding. I didn't move, but I can move my body. Look. Just kidding. Lorne Michaels called Wig one of the top three or four performers in his show's history. Kristen inhabits her characters with the fierce commitment of a veteran film actor. It's no wonder her transition into movies was so smooth. Lil, you're getting married. We're getting married. And you'll be my maid of honor. God, of course. <laughs> of course I will. Perhaps Wig is best known for her starring role in Bridesmaids, which she also co-wrote, earning her an Oscar nomination for Best Screenplay. This spring, she's appearing in Jennifer Westfeld's new movie, Friends with Kids. With all this success, it's hard to believe Wig's career in comedy almost didn't happen. She grew up in upstate New York and Pennsylvania, never dreaming of making a living in the entertainment industry. When it was time for college, performing didn't even cross her mind. I was an art major. It wasn't really for me. I was kind of in my... Uh... I hate the word party phase. I hate that word. I was having fun, I yeah. guess, at that time. Yeah. And I, um, taking it easy. I was taking it easy. And then yeah. I, I didn't really know what I, I was having, like, what am I going to do with my life? You were in your ring-a-ding-ding phase. <laughs> I've never used that term, <clears throat> but I'm yeah. going to. And then I went back to Rochester because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then I just started, like, taking classes at the local community college. And then For I was what? like, I want to travel art. Art classes. And there's no performance element in no. what you're doing all oh, this God, time. Oh, God, no. And no, were no, people no. saying to you, God, you're funny? I, I don't think people wake up when they're 25 I and they're funny. You know what? I never really did plays. I mean, if I had to give a speech in class, I would try anything to get out of it. I hated talking in front of people. I still actually don't really like doing that. If I'm myself and it's a group of people, it still makes me nervous. Anyway... After I was back in Rochester, I did a Knoll semester. Do you know what that is? It's like outward bound. 
Where you like live outside, learn. Is it like meaningful or is it ring a ding ding? No, it's is, meaningful. It is. Yeah, it's, like it's soul searching. Or, yes. Soul searching. Oh yes, of course. They're, For three months, they're not six pack searching. There was a little bit of that. So it's a, it's called a what? Knowles National Outdoor Leadership School. <laughs> You're laughing at me. It's like outward bound. Outdoor leadership. I like. Yeah, that. it was outdoor. like you learn how to live outside and like just in case of the apocalypse. Yeah, and if you get lost in the woods, like I would know what to do. And if I was with you, I right. would bring up this conversation and say you're on your own. <laughs> yeah, you go get lost in the woods. I'm going to be in the hotel watching Bridesmaids on pay-per-view. Anyway, Knowles. long story short, after that, went back to Rochester and then applied to the University of Arizona. Went there for a year. Why there? Um, it was a boyfriend thing. Okay. And then— So you're a pretty normal kid up until now. Pretty normal, yeah. And then— then I took an acting class. Where? At University of Arizona. You did. My major was studio art, and you could pick three different types of art for that major. And it was like sculpture, painting, and I just tried this class called performance art, which was very like writing poems and doing Karen kind of— Finley. Yes, like very weird light yes. changes and things like that, <laughs> which was like my first experience of being on a stage, even though it was like this tiny little <laughs> box in front of a class. It was literally acting 101. That was one class. One class. And I was terrified to take it because I, like I said, I hate standing up in front of people and performing. But something about this class, we learned about improv and my teacher was really supportive. And at the end of the class, he was just like, have you ever considered doing this? And I was like, no, yeah, right. So it was your teacher that planned it. It was my teacher, yeah. I just kept thinking about it and I wasn't really happy there. I didn't really like the the art program wasn't really for me. I don't want to say I had an epiphany, but I did have one of those moments where I was like looking at myself in the mirror and I was like, what are you doing? What do you want to do? If you could do anything in this world, what would it be? And I was like, I want to move to L.A. and try to be an actor, (laughs) which was crazy. But I didn't stop myself. I packed my car like the next day and my roommate at the time in Arizona lived in Beverly Hills, and she said I could come stay with her. So it all started flowing in that direction. Yeah, I didn't tell my parents that I was leaving you Arizona. You kept sending letters to the post office <laughs> in, 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 in was, Tucson? And I just kept saying, God, it's really hot here. Oh, there's yeah. so much sand everywhere. <laughs> but they're postmarked West Hollywood. <laughs> yes, exactly. West Hollywood, Arizona. Um, <laughs> and when you got there, how quickly did you get into the Groundlings thing? Not quickly, because I moved there, and I was you like, I need to get You kind of move at a glacial it. pace, don't you? You were, kind of, you were kind of creeping up on this, weren't you? <laughs> I got there, and I was like, what it's am I— It's a slow-motion epiphany. <laughs> yeah, it was an epiph. <laughs> I got there, and I was like, what am I doing? Because L.A. is a city of actors and performers and writers and filmmakers for the most part. I mean, that's where they all go, and I had zero experience. I wasn't— you know, 19, and I just, like, got a job and, like, wasn't really doing anything. Got a job doing what? I worked at anthropology. Did you? The store, yeah. You sold clothes in anthropology? Yeah, and I did, like— Or were you security? I wasn't security. (laughs) No, but I did a lot of, like, visual stuff because of my art background. I didn't help with, like, the, you know— Displays. Displays and stuff. But when you say you you weren't sure what you were doing, there's something about you in the time I've known you and been around you where you're still kind of that way. Oh, yeah. I don't think I'm ever going to figure it out. <laughs> right. I don't know. Do you ever? I don't know. I mean, I think that there's two types of people in the business that I've met. There's the ones that have that very 
Mickey Rooney kind of, I'm going to be in show business, you know, since they're kids and they just want yeah. it and they eat, sleep and drink it. Then there's people who are, if not accidental, they certainly have a sense that they're visiting. Well, I'll do this for now, you know. Yeah. I love performing, but there's such a big part of me that's like, don't look at me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard to find that balance. I think also like people assume if you're an actor that you just like walk into a room and you're like, hello, listen to this story. I want everyone to gather around. Attention, everyone. Yeah, Attention. and I'm the, the exact opposite. Yeah. If I'm in a room full of people and someone says like, hey, Kristen, what happened at that thing? I'll just be like, oh, I'll start sweating. <laughs> Isn't your dream going to dinner and someone else does all the talking? Yeah, that's why I like going to dinner with you. That's my <laughs> So when you're there and you get into the Groundlings. Yeah. Groundlings opened everything up. Now, how so? Because for you, you're thinking acting and it was a performing art class. You said, I'm going to go to L.A. to be an actress. And do you feel that you crossed a line and it was, I'm a comedian or I'm a comedy actress? Or you never felt that way? No, I think it was was improv. It was watching people be on stage acting without a script – there was something in me that was like, I, I want to do that. I know that I can do that. For some reason, it was less scary to me than having words in front of me. Because I think when you're handed a script, you know that you're supposed to do it in a certain way. And people will think, like, how is she reading this? But when you're improvising, there's nothing to compare it to. And you can yeah, do there's whatever. There's no Blanche Dubois. Yeah. No. But when I started taking classes at the Groundlings and taking improv, it was like, Something just like clicked, and I felt like, oh, this is what I want to do. And but at the same time, did you get a sense of what you're doing? It was working. You were pretty good at it. Um, I mean, yeah, I think so. It's weird you, to did talk you just about suck myself up like that. Recently, or, <laughs> but you were good. No, I mean, I, it was something. It was nice to have that thing that I knew that I was good at. Finally, besides art, which is very personal and quiet, and. You know, that was just sort of something I did by myself. (laughs) You don't talk to anybody when you're drawing or painting. It's very um, isolating. And for me, doing the groundlings was the exact opposite of that because it's such a community and you improvise with other people and you have to connect with other people to make it work. Do you have to audition to get in? It's like a school I mean, you have to go and take, take the first class. class, and then after the first class, your teacher tells you if you can move on or if you should repeat it or if this isn't for you. <laughs> and then you just keep going, and then the third level is like – it's writing intensive. So that's that's like where I learned how to write was at the Groundlings. And the Groundlings was how long? Probably like – Four or five years, I guess. Yeah, a few years. Yeah. I mean, there's time in between some of the levels because there's such a long waiting list. And then once I got into the main company, I was only in it for a handful of months before I got SNL. Now, when SNL comes knocking uh, for those— I mean, Well, we knocked. <laughs> I don't know if they knocked. What do you mean? <laughs> well, we sent it. I, my manager sent a tape in— so you had an agent and a manager. I had— You were playing the whole thing out there. I had a manager. Were you working? I'd done a few pilots, right. I guess, and a few commercials. Um, so you weren't cloistered over there in the Groundlings. You were you were working. I was, yeah. I mean, I still was had odd jobs. And like, when you connected with the, the SNL people, you sent material to them. Naomi sent a tape in, and then your manager. Yes, sorry, my manager Naomi Odenkirk, who's I wouldn't have any of 
my career if it wasn't for her. I used to babysit for her. Did you? And then I asked her to come see my Groundling show, and she was like, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, anyway, so that's how she signed me was from seeing me there. But she just kind of sent my tape in, and then, you know, you don't hear anything, and then you just get a call. We'd like her to audition this summer. Five characters, three impressions, five minutes. And I was like, okay, uh, I don't really have any impressions. So I'm going to have to like, I'd never done impressions on stage at the Groundlings. It was just kind of like joking around with my friends. Flew out there. It was the most terrifying experience. Who were you doing it for? I don't even remember, like a sea of darkness. I don't even, I just remember Lauren Lauren was there and, and Seth and Marcy. Tina, you know. Did you know any of them prior to that? Had you been friends with Tina or Seth? Oh, no, I I hadn't met any. No. No. I went to New York once when I was in eighth grade and, like, went to. To go to um, court. (laughs) (laughs) To, like, Hard Rock Cafe or something when I was in, like, eighth grade. No, I came to New York and I was like, what? I bought a stopwatch because I really thought they were going to just turn the lights off at five minutes. Because <laughs> they said, like, it's five minutes. It's five minutes. Please don't go no over. Kidding. So I was like— We're going to electrocute you. Yeah. So I, I practiced in the mirror <laughs> with, like, a stopwatch trying to get it under five minutes, exactly five minutes. And I don't do stand-up. So the idea of performing by myself— and how did it go? I felt okay. I felt pretty good. Yeah. They laughed a little bit. I was warned, you know, like, it's going to be quiet. Tough just crowd. do it. It's a tough crowd. Just do it and go. If anything, I just felt happy that I did it because I was yeah. so terrified and shaking. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. And then it was over. <laughs> I didn't hear anything. And I was like, okay, well, that was an experience. <laughs> and then, like, a month and a half later, we got a call saying, can she come back? You know, and if she has new stuff or other stuff, that would be great, too. And I was like, I crammed everything I've ever done in that five minutes. But then I just I came up with some new stuff, went back and did it again. Then they asked me to stay and meet with Lorne. I don't remember what I said. I Do you have kind of an Alzheimer's problem? No. Because you, you don't remember a lot? You don't remember I don't remember because I was I – was, I do have a horrible <laughs> memory. But also I was so nervous and probably didn't say much anyway. And then he was like, you know, well, we don't really have room for you right now, but, you know, your audition was great. I mean, he was so sweet. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then I left. And they said they didn't have room I for you. I was so cast. confused. And then I went home, and then the season started. <laughs> and I remember watching the first show and being like, well, I didn't get it. And then after the fourth show, we got a call saying, can she come? So then I started, like, fifth show in, I started, which was even more nerve-wracking because you feel like— And where like, were you? You were in L.A. I was in L.A. And they call you and they say, get out here. Yeah. Had you watched the show prior to that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd grown up you had. watching Oh, yeah. Especially high school, I remember it was like people would watch it and then what, talk about it. you remember of high school? Yeah, I don't really yeah, remember. I remember. <laughs> so you, you, you had an awareness of the show and you were a fan of the show. So when they called you and asked you to come, you felt other than um, nervous? Other than nervous, I—, I Oh God, I don't know if there was even much more than nervous. I was. But were you happy? I was so happy. I was like, this is too good to be true. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm moving to New York City. Where do I live? How do I get around? How do I move my stuff? What if I get there and none of my stuff works? You know, but it's kind of getting SNL is a huge, it's a, it's huge, a huge deal. Thing. I mean, I jumped up and down. I was, I couldn't. 
believe it. And I think the difference with SNL is if I had gotten my big break, whatever you want to call it, if it was a pilot or a TV show got picked up or a movie, you kind of know what to expect. And with SNL, you have no yeah. idea. The script hasn't been written yet. It hasn't been written. Like, what am I going to do on the show? Right. How How does – it's live. It's an hour and a half. But for you in terms of that open field running, so to speak, in terms of there being a blank canvas, you went in there and you've created all these – this incredible range of characters. You have a woman that's your writing partner? Yes, Annie Mumolo. And Annie Mumolo, where did you meet her? At the Groundlings. At we Groundlings. Were, yeah, we so wrote— when you went to, So did they bring her along with you? I— When did she come along? Well, I mean, she, I wrote Bridesmaids with her, but she's not She's not on the staff. Who do you write with on SNL? I write a lot with James Anderson and Kent Sublette, who came from Groundlings. So describe how that works, because people who don't know SNL don't know that there are these pairings. People kind of find somebody they dig writing for. You just find people that you have. They want to write for you. Yeah, and it's a similar sense of humor. It's easy, and people just naturally gravitate towards. So give me a character that one of them wrote for you. The secret word sketch. I'm thrilled to be here. Look at me. Mindy Grayson is her name, that like old Hollywood. They they write that. I have nothing to do with that. And it's such a gift. There are no secret words to an actress. I see the word and I explore it. And the movie reviewer? Oh, yeah, Aunt Linda. She she was a groundlings. I hated one and loved the other. Gas. And Linda, so, so that you brought in your baggage with you. Yeah, and then I write that with Paula. You write that? Yeah, yeah. My next film is Tim Burton's adaptation of Alice in Wonderland. Or what I like to call it, Alice in Wonder, if someone put LSD in my crystal light. What is happening in this thing? She originally was, I was doing her, I think, in the show, maybe, that that I was in when I got SNL. And the most distracting thing of all, Helen Obama Carter. How would Aunt Linda review uh, Bridesmaids? What would Aunt Linda say? She'd probably be like, there's too many women in it. <laughs> oh, God. When, when I originally did that character, it was a sketch at the Groundlings, and it was a woman who was on the plane who was watching the in-flight movie, which was The Matrix, and she was so confused by it, and she didn't understand anything, and she just kept talking to the people and like, what is going on? <laughs> and I tried it as a sketch at SNL, like... Five times. It went to dress maybe three times. And finally, someone was like, why don't you just try her at Update? And so that's how she eventually got on the show. Recently, you did the uh, news segment with Seth. Were you with that blonde bimbo who had her legs <laughs> yes. up in there? Who was that woman? Rebecca LaRue, I think is her name. Right. Here to tell us how we can meet a significant other by New Year's flirting expert, Rebecca LaRue. Yeah. I want to tell you that I've never <laughs> laughed so hard in my life in like the last year oh, than when I watched you do them. Rebecca, do you want to explain what you're doing right now? Just like body language stuff, you know, that people can do. There's these women you play who have that kind of... Flirt. It doesn't have anything to do with femininity or sexuality. It's just more their psychological jaggedness, if you will. Aunt Linda, that could be Uncle Bob. You take a character that has... There's really no gender specifics to it. Yeah. Then you turn around and you play a woman who is very gender specific. <laughs> it looks like, you know, you started flirting already. No, I'm not. I'm just listening to you. <laughs> I'm just really hearing you. You play the super hot, horny actress, and you were so funny. I'm a slut. I mean, there are some people in comedy who can't do both. That, I have to say, one of the greatest gifts that I've gotten from SNL is getting out of my comfort zone. 
I realized, I think Lauren realized, probably the first handful of years that I was there, most of my characters were ladies in their 40s with, like, short hair and weird sweaters that nobody – Barbara Bush. No one wanted at the dinner party. And the good thing about being at SNL for me creatively is to think, okay, I'm comfortable enough. I really want to try something that's not – some, you know, something that I normally do. And that's when I actually first came up with the character, um, Shanna. One time I ate a bunch of peanuts and I had a pain near my belly button. So the doctor told me he needed a stool sample and I had to poop in the tiniest, cutest little white cup. <laughs> the one that's like sexy, but then does like gross things. Cause I was like, I really want to write a character that looks kind of good, but blank. And that's kind of where the flirting lady came from, too. I was like, I just want to try, you know, I didn't really know what that was going to be. I mean, none of it was really on the page when we wrote it. But for you, do you feel like when there's a quotient of a character, which is a sensuous quotient, and you're sending it up, do you realize you could walk out the door tomorrow and probably play that character for real in a straight film? I mean, have you ever wanted to do, play a leading lady in a dramatic film, a love story. Oh, yeah. A period film. I would love to do that. Straight films. Yes. I hope I hope I get the opportunity to do that. I was just actually talking to someone about this the other day that the audience very quickly puts you in a folder. Like, they know you how they first knew you. I'm Kristen from SNL, or a comedic actress, and... People are always so surprised when I want to do dramatic stuff. Really? Yeah. Like, you really want to do that? Have you had any offers for that? Um, I mean, there's a couple things that I'm looking at doing next that aren't comedies at all. Right. One of them is really not at all. And I, it's I a horror hope movie. <laughs> it's a horror movie. I just want to be in, like, a tub. Will you do a horror – you ever want to do a horror movie with me? Let, are you kidding Like a yes? paranormal Blair Witch <laughs> thing, which is completely loosey-goosey, just cameras everywhere, and we improv. We could shoot it in here. We could shoot it in here. Yeah. We're on the radio, and then we just hear voices. It's like a dead announcer who's in here and locks us in here. Yeah. You know. But let's talk about that later on. <laughs> okay. I love that. Talk about Jennifer Westfeld's film. What was it like for you acting in the film? Um, it was amazing. It's, it was a much more dramatic part than I've you know, had the opportunity to do. Did you like that? I loved it. I loved it. It was so what part of it was satisfying hard. to me. Yeah, but it was— But what part of it was hard? Um, as far as the performing part of yeah, it? Yeah, as far as the acting. There were a lot of kids around. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're not supposed to be crying. Yeah. You know how it is when you've got kids and yeah. dogs. Kids and, and dogs. She had all of that. I, would do, I, I say put the dog's bed against the wall. <laughs> and then we'll have the dog walk and I go, here, Rex. Rex gets one signal. Then we send a courtesy van for Rex back to the hotel. Yes. Done. Wrap on Rex. Or just have a bird. Yeah. <laughs> well, they can be, you know. But it's fine. Alec Baldwin, <laughs> Team America, rah! Even the birds that don't talk say your name. Yeah. <laughs> just just pigeons outside. Even, even, even clamshells on the beach. <laughs> Alec Baldwin, rah! Can that be in our horror movie? Can that be the end of the horror movie where we just zoom in on a clamshell on a beach? We can just do says, that. Land. <laughs> it's called The Mollusks. Oh, I love it. Let's get Judd Apatow Someone's got to be listening to this. Somebody really good. With a typewriter. <laughs> Not a computer. No. A typewriter. No. We're old school. Yeah. <laughs> This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. More coming up in a minute. 
This podcast is supported by Lincoln presenting its new MKS. The 2013 Lincoln MKS uses sensors to constantly monitor the vehicle's suspension motion, body movement, steering and braking, adjusting the suspension to help keep the body of the vehicle quiet and on track. Lincoln's sync technology with My Lincoln Touch was developed for customizable interaction. The new MKS includes a heated and cooled leather-trimmed front seats and the 3.5-liter EcoBoost V6 powertrain as an available option. This podcast of Here's the Thing is supported by Squarespace.com, helping to provide a way for anyone to create a professional-looking website or blog. Squarespace has hundreds of professionally designed templates to build a site, featuring simple drag-and-drop functionality to customize the site to your needs. A free trial and special offer is available to our listeners at Squarespace.com slash the thing. So you wrote Bridesmaids, as everybody knows. Yes. Everybody co- knows. I co-wrote it. Co-wrote. You co- okay, yes. you with... Uh, Annie, Mama. I don't know Annie, but I know you. And there really is something in this business when you see somebody who is as lovely as you are and as pleasant as you are and as talented as you are and kind of unassuming. I mean, you're not a very self-important you know, artist in this business. And then all of a sudden you go, whoa! You, know, <laughs> you make a movie that's just this huge success. When you look back on it now, what do you think? When we were making the movie, it was like, we wrote this thing, we hope it works. Whose idea was it? Everyone's having fun, what's going to happen? The the original, just the idea of the story was Annie's. Mm-hmm. Judd asked me to write something for myself after I did Knocked Up, and he was like, you can write by yourself, you can have a writing partner. Most of the sketches that I wrote at Groundlings with someone else were with Annie, so I just called her and... We'd kind of talk loosely, like, hey, someday we should maybe write a movie. But that's so daunting. We, I, I don't know how to write I like what you said in the interview. You said, let's write 20 sketches. <laughs> yeah. Sketches we can do. Yeah, and then just like kind of put them together. <laughs> so she had this idea, and I was in New York, and so she actually went to Jed's office and, you know, was like, hi, I'm Annie. This is our idea. <laughs> and um, he's like, okay, yeah, start writing it. So. Every hiatus, I would come to L.A. because that was the only way we really worked together was being in the same room together. We discovered Skype later, but we like to do everything together. We're not right. one of That's those better. teams that just says like, hey, write this and send it to me. We like to do everything together. You like working together. I love working with her. Yeah. It's yeah. so easy. We've never She's in gotten in an argument. Yeah. She's in the movie. She she plays the woman next to me on the plane oh. that's like freaking out. Says that the woman got sucked in the toilet. She's the best. She's so she's one so of the funniest. She wrote this for Judd. Yeah. And then yeah. what happened? And then how much notes did you get from somebody else, or was it all like it was there? Well, it's a different process, I think, than you would have with other producers. In that we were writing every day on set, writing alt lines, Fine-tuned. writing new yeah. like jokes. TV. Yeah. And and we would have like the scenes written. He'd be like, okay, write this scene again, but maybe this happens. Or how about instead of these two characters, maybe it's the other two girls that are there. So it was constant writing, rewriting. Every day we would get a packet of scenes from old drafts, scenes that we loved, scenes that – you know, other people's ideas. Scenes that we refused to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean it was a lot of writing, a lot of writing. And then you shot the movie where? L.A.? In L.A., yeah. And in terms of the casting, it looks to me like you got everybody you wanted, true? 
Yeah. One of the reasons why Annie and I wanted to write this movie was that we know so many funny women from the Groundlings and, and you know, women. Which of those were in the film? Uh, Wendy and Melissa. And Maya's a former Groundling. We wrote the part for Wendy and Melissa. We were so lucky to have her come in and, and read and improvise with me forever. And Ellie and Rose were the only ones that I didn't know before. And talk about Rose Byrne, who I saw her at the SAG Awards. And, of course, she looks um, – <laughs> yeah, I saw her at the SAG Awards. And she definitely is dear in the headlights when you meet her. She's very sweet. But she is divine. And she's so – game. Do you find that all you need to be is a good actor to get the comedy thing? Or do you think there's something special to comedy? To playing well, I think not- you just said, I mean, to be game, you have to be willing to not look good, to put it out there, poke fun at yourself. Yeah. You kind of just have to be petty show and up cheap and, and just crazy. do it. And, and Rose is like, it's like when you meet her, first of all, she's drop dead gorgeous. Yeah. I stared at her for like the first three days of rehearsal and was just like, what the hell? Where did you come from? And she's funny. She has no improv experience and she improvised like crazy in this movie. I don't know. I think she's – to play that cotillion kind of broad, it's it, we've seen that I mean, yeah. a lot, in a lot of manifestations. But you got to stay with it, you know. You got to never comment on it, and that's what I love. Was she was like, it, it was acting. Yeah. she's like playing this really a stick up her, you know what? Yeah, and Annie and I have always said the Helen character that she played was the toughest to figure out because, and for her, I think the toughest to play because she's this person that. My character instantly hates, and as an audience member, you have to get that. But my best friend is very close with her, so you have to see what she sees in her too. So Rose was that perfect thing of like, oh, God, she's driving me crazy, but oh, I kind of want to hang out with her. And she did that. Women are like that. Well, not all women. Like if men are friends and then you have a friend I can't stand, but with men they understand, just don't bring him around. Yeah, right. (laughs) But with women, it's like, you you know, come on. Yeah, bring her over. He's not so bad. Yeah, and then she comes over and you're like, hi. (laughs) Talk about Melissa. Melissa at the Groundlings was a little ahead of me. From the moment I met her, I I just was like looked up to her and had never seen anyone in my life not only embrace characters like she does but creates them. The stuff she does at the Groundlings, I mean, people see her in Bridesmaids and obviously are are talking about her, but the stuff that she's done at the Groundlings is insane. Like, shows sold out when she's, you know, doing her stuff. When she came in to audition for this, it was absolutely perfect. There's something very maternal about Melissa, which was very important in that character. And also she's just – can I swear on the show? Um, think of a metaphor. <laughs> okay. She's effing brilliant. Can I yeah. just say that? She brought life to that character and we're like so lucky that she's in the movie. Yeah. What are you doing next? Have you got any movies in the can? I have one movie that's in the can right now called Imogene. That, Tell um, us about that. Um, Berman and Polcini directed. They did um, American Splendor. Yep. And, and they did my, one of my favorite movies, The Extra Man. Yes. They did, they're, they're married. They're great. So yeah, but that's we're actually doing a reshoot next week. Would you describe week. the movie? What's it about? Um, I'm a writer in New York. My relationship has just ended. Without giving too much away, people think that I tried to kill myself. And is it a drama? 
It's it's a drama with comedy in it, um, and then I I have to be released to a family member when I'm in the hospital because they don't have enough room in the hospital, and so I have to go home to my mom who Annette Benning plays. I haven't seen her or talked to her in you know eight ten years, so it's sort of going back home, finding out what's important, that whole kind of thing. I love the script. I'm really excited. I haven't seen the finished product yet, but. I'm really excited about it. This is a trite question, but I often think about this myself. Being older than you and coming from a different generation, when I would come in and I would meet people that were not peers of mine, but people that I really admired. But I didn't always work with people that were, you know, on Turner Classic Movies, so to speak. I wasn't making movies with John Garfield, you know, <laughs> but the uh, um, and William Holden. But when I would meet these people that I deeply admired, it was just such a, an amazingly resonating experience. And on SNL, you got a different person every week, yeah. presumably. Yeah. Who are some of the ones that are most memorable to you that you work with that you were like, I can't believe I'm standing here doing my thing with blank? Well, SNL aside, Annette Bening on this movie, I completely had that with her. Uh, I couldn't believe I was doing scenes with her and she was playing my mother. I mean, I can't even. She's very gifted. Yeah. Um, Oh my God, SNL is like every week. Yeah. There's different. But can you think of even one or two that you just went, holy. You. Beep. No, no, come on. Well, a little bit. True. Um, Steve Martin. Yeah. When I first met him, I was like, oh my gosh, I've, I've watched you and. Uh, Worshipped you. Yeah, for most of my life. <laughs> and uh, that was pretty crazy. And De Niro, when he. <laughs> Hosted was when he wanders in. Went, was uh, yeah, was amazing. Plus, you know what it is, because you meet people. You go out to parties, whatever, and you meet people. But when people come to SNL, you're seeing such a different side to them because they're not in their element. Some of the more dramatic actors don't have comedy experience, so they're kind of in there. Like, what do I do? You know, someone like Robert De Niro. I'm sure he came in the first time he hosted and was like, what. It's interesting to see people not in their element come on the show and be sort of like, tell me what to do. SNL is uh, winding down for you now. Um, I, uh, I don't know. Um, When's your contract up? This year. Yeah. This is, this is the last season you're contracted for. And I guess it would be safe to say <laughs> that although people there are crying and sobbing and unhappy that they don't want you to leave, twas ever thus. Yes, I mean they're well, always. Well, everyone in this place. has to leave. Yes, uh, and it's hard I, to leave. I will say that when I do leave, it's not because I are sick of it. Not because I'm sick of it, and not because I see something A greener better yeah. or anything like that. It's just that it's time. When I do leave, it will be the hardest thing. Sure. I mean, you know, sure. you're there for a week, Nothing and then, like it. and on Saturday night, you're, you're sad because you leave Nothing these like people. It. And people ask me, "Why did you do it 15 times?" And I look at them, I go, "If you could do it 15 times, yeah, trust you, me, you yeah, would." Yeah, this is my seventh year, yeah. and I mean, that's my family. It's yeah. my heart. It's New York to me, yeah. and it's your history. Yeah, but you know, you have to leave things that you love. Yeah. What would you miss most about SNL? Um, the people. Yeah, it's a two-parter. The people, I'm going to miss that camaraderie and I'm, I'm going to miss seeing all those faces every day. And what the 
people bring out in me. That creative muscle that you have when you're at SNL, you know, it's so fast-paced. You're putting a puzzle together, and it has to be put together by Saturday at 1130, and you're trying to create something that you – it's like you have to figure it out by that day, whether you're writing it on Tuesday or Thursday, and – being surrounded by creative people and knowing that you're all in it together and you're putting on a show and you're all like pushing this huge boulder together. Every Saturday you do something that you're scared to do. I think I, I will miss that feeling. And of course you have absolutely no prospects whatsoever. I mean you're really, it's a really ballsy move on your part because who the F is going to hire you? I don't know. I may go back to <laughs> – Open up a canoe shop. Do you, do you say to yourself that the goal, uh, to the extent that you want to say or you can say, is the goal for you films? You like the long breaks and the more deliberate, thoughtful process of writing, and it's less, uh, you know, f- kind of factory work, like uh, assembly I mean, line work, like TV can be. Yeah, I mean, temporarily. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't like the word goal because I feel like. Those are always changing for me. You don't like having goals. I don't like having goals. I don't. That's why I, <laughs> you know, do what I do. Right. I don't know. I want to direct. I want to live in Paris and paint. I want to do like, I don't know. I want to do a lot of different things. Seriously. Yeah. You think you could live in Paris? Yeah. And do yeah. what? I don't know. You'd Eat last in Paris for about two months. Not, well, maybe. Well, then I'd last, live in Paris for two months. How great live, would that be? There you go. You and I are going to have dinner yeah. when we talk about <laughs> the haunted studio movie. <laughs> That John Apatow is going to give us notes on. The mollusk. We'll get together. Also, we'll have another launch, a separate okay. lunch to talk about healthy goal making. Okay. Uh, healthy, uh, right. You no, know. what I mean, it's not that I don't think you should have goals. <laughs> Let me go back. What I'm saying is my life right now is not what I thought it would be six months ago. It's always people like you that so end up like, on top. But you never know what's going to happen. I, it's so day to day and I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. Wake up every day and try to just. But I love that you're so blithe about it, but in a healthy way, where you're like, you know, I'm going to leave myself because that's artistry to me. No, I never want to stop doing creative things, whatever they may be. Kristen Wig, next year you may find her baking bread in a corner boulangerie in Paris. Oh, I'm not going to bake it. I'm going to have oh, someone it. buy it yeah, for me. Yeah, I forgot you're a movie star. Now. Bring it yeah, to so my. You're going to have it delivered. <laughs> yeah, have someone put the butter on it for me. Yeah. Open my mouth. It's all going well. I can't complain. I'm very happy. A happy and seriously funny Kristen Wiig. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Our show is produced by WNYC. Here's the Thing is supported by New York Magazine, presenting Vulture.com, an entertainment website where highbrow meets lowbrow with around-the-clock coverage of movies, TV, music, and beyond.